<laughs> they all came in right as the music was starting. It's so good to be here, and thank you so much, Derwin and Angel, for inviting us. Um, my husband, Darcy, is here. We've been married actually 26 years. Come on. Exactly. Uh, 26 years. He is the, um, okay, wait, I got to get this right. He is the personnel and family life director for international mission of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. I know. He's got a business card that's this big that he carries there. Anyway, um, but what that means is we actually work with Canadians that work overseas. So we work with global workers in a variety of settings around the world, and we love global workers. We love missionaries. And so, um, yeah, that's what we do. We are what I would call part-time empty nesters. And that, what that means is between Monday and Thursday, we are living the dream. Where we come home from work and, you know, what should we have to make a meal? And I mean, it's just lovely. And then everybody comes home on Friday with all of their laundry and all their special someones and everything. And it's just mass, you know, chaos for, for two and a half days. And that's good, too. But um, that's where we're at right now. Um, yeah, I lead something called... Actually, I have a picture of the kids. Can we... This is our family. I was actually looking for a picture this morning of everyone facing the same way and couldn't find one. Anyway, uh, so our daughter Robin is on the left. That's Darcy and myself. And then this is Nick right here on the right. This is Benjamin. Trust me, he's a very good-looking guy. <laughs> he, he might just be the best-looking of the bunch. Don't, don't tell the others that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, they're all young adults and just delightful. So I, I do direct something called Zoe Projects, which is really connecting Canadians with the needs of women overseas. We work in health and education, sex trafficking, as well as economic empowerment. The gospel of Jesus speaks to the vulnerability of women around the world. It just does. The gospel of Jesus was one where he came to bring dignity and freedom to women. That, that men and women together would bear the image of God and that it would just, you know... So um, I won't get into that because that's not what I'm talking about today. But, um, yeah, it's just it's such an important uh, uh, area in our world that, that the church actually should be leading in. The church should be speaking to the value of the daughters. And we do that here in this setting, even me preaching. Thank you. This is speaking to the dignity and what, what women have to offer. Um, but we do that here in Canada as well as overseas. So today we're going to look at a psalm together. The, the psalms are quite, quite special. There, there's, not, you know, there, there's nowhere else in the Bible uh, that are quite like the psalms. The, the psalms are a collection of poems that are meant to be to be sung, and it could be easy to look at them and go, what relevance do they have in our lives today? But I tell you, nothing could be further than the truth. The Psalms are very relevant for us. I just finished uh, reading uh, a biography on Diedrich Bonhoeffer, and it was so interesting because here he was 60 years ago um, using the Psalms both in a community setting, as well as using the Psalms for, for reflection uh, personally. And if you look at the history, saints for centuries have been using the Psalms in significant ways. 
Now, if you look at all 150 of them together, they're a bit of a dog's breakfast, really. I mean, if, if I ran the world and was putting the canon together, I would have brought a little more order to the Psalms. Like, when you look at it, they're not in arranged by date. They're not arranged even by theme. And my structured little brain just kind of goes, can we, can we do this better? But what I love about this is the Psalms actually, that dog's breakfast, I don't know about you, but it kind of reflects my life. Because my life is not, you know, ordered beautifully. My, my life doesn't always make sense. I, I can't always find the themes of my life until way past the date. And if you were to watch me on a daily basis, I'm a bit of a roller coaster. I like to think that I've evened out a little bit over the years, but I am a roller coaster of emotion. You see, the Psalms express, and this is what they do for us, they express the full range of human emotion and they give us permission to express our feelings. I'm so grateful for that, that they even give us the words to use and, and help put words to our experience. The, the Psalms tell us all kinds of things. They, they tell us that we're not alone. They tell us how to, how to deal with our feelings and that you know, we're not the first person that's ever been frustrated or, or fearful or, or lacking joy. But all the while, they're always pointing us to the truth. The Psalms were meant to be prayed, and they were meant to be sung, to express feelings, for sure, but then to offer them back as prayer. And so we do that corporately as the church. And I tell you, it was just so lovely to be here this morning. I don't really know any of you. And yet, I just slipped right on in. Why did I do that? Because you and I are together in Christ. Because together, Christ binds us. Where where we, though we come from different places, different situations, whatever our differences is, we meet on the ground that says, I was lost, but I am found, and so were you. I love that. We, we were such a blessing to one another this morning. Because as we sang the truth to one another, it was like we were identifying and we were saying, man, I'm finding this hard sometimes. Do you ever find this hard, this Christian life? And you're like, yeah, I find it hard sometimes. You too, me too. Okay, so we've identified. But then as we identify, we go, but let's point to Christ. Let's actually look to Christ and say, he's the one. He's our hope. He's our future. He, you know, beautiful. That's what the Psalms do. We also use them individually. You know, some mornings I get up and I'm like, here I am again. And the Psalms allow me to do that. And I tell you, that prayer is enough. Here I am again. So we're going to look at Psalm 126. It's going to be on the screen, and I want us to practice. This is supposed to be done corporately, so we're going to actually say it and pray it together. So follow me. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter, and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, 
What amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord. As streams renew the desert, those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with a harvest. Last week, some friends, family friends posted on my Facebook timeline a video of Darcy and I from Christmas Eve 1992. Uh, we were then pastoring up north in Terrace. I, uh, how old would we have been? Probably 24, 25, young, <laughs> young, younger, we're still young. Um, you know, and it was just this amazing thing because we were actually providing music, which, you know, years later, we're still providing music on Christmas Eve. Um, but it just brought back these memories to a point in time. And it was really neat because our friends that were at that time with us in Terrace, they, they started posting and going, I remember that, I remember that. And just this, this lovely little moment became a moment of collective memory. It was so fun. And really what it was was a remember when moment. And all families, all communities have these moments. And it's, it, it, it enriches the experience when we get to do that together. Now, many of our shared memories center on times of joy. I tend to have like a, I don't know, a sieve for a brain in the... I, I tend to only remember good times. I, I don't remember hard times. Does anyone like that with, or I don't know. Anyway, but we tend to remember times of joy. Sometimes we think those moments of joy are the big moments. Sometimes in the big moments, I think to myself, I should be feeling more. Why aren't you feeling more? But my experience is that the moments of joy are those small moments, those moments where I glimpse something, where I want to freeze frame the moment and go, oh, I want this. We were built for joy. We get glimpses of it. And when we do, we want we want to hold on to it for our dear lives and, and live there full time. But, but joy is elusive. We, we can run after it. We can try to buy it. We can try to nail it down. But as soon as we think we have it and possess it, it disappears. We live in a culture that I say is joy starved. And when you look at the values and the choices that people make all around us, they're, they're on a search for joy and they'll do just about anything to get it. Eugene Peterson wrote a book, it's a classic, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it's a reflection on the songs of the ascent, of which Psalm 126 is one of. And in talking about what I call this joy starvation, he says, society is a bored, gluttonous king employing a court jester to divert it after an overindulgent meal. Ouch. See, we're bloated with just about pretty much everything one can have, and yet, yet we're missing out on the one thing that we really want, and that, it's, that is joy. So Psalm 20, 126, it's a corporate lament. 
Corporate laments typically express a deep sorrow for a hardship that a nation is experiencing. And within that nation, there's, there's a small group that, that rises up and, and asks for God's blessing and, and cries out for God's intervention. This psalm is one of the last songs written many centuries after David. And if we were to place it on the timeline, uh, most likely it would be after the release of the Jews from the Babylonian captivity. Now, this is the period in Judah's history when many inhabitants of Judah, the southern kingdom, were exiled to Babylon after King Nebuchadnezzar came in and conquered Jerusalem. So we're thinking about the 6th century B.C. Now, the captivity that those people experienced was brutal, and it was demoralizing. And many actually felt abandoned by God. And one writer put it this way. Of the many crises Judah experienced, none presented greater danger than the Babylonian exile. It was an event that challenged the faith of the most orthodox Jew. The Lord who worked so mightily for Judah before had now apparently gone down in defeat, or so it seems. So these are dark, dark days. But in the middle of these days, something kind of amazing happens. They experienced a spiritual renewal. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, the way we tend to look at things, we think of of difficult times as the worst thing ever. Something that you want to avoid at all costs. We just want joy. We just want joy. But if we look at the story of of God's people, and if we look at our own stories, hardship is often an amazing opportunity. Now, if you're going through a hardship and someone tells you, well, just look at the opportunity in this, we want to deck them. But often, you know, when when time has passed, we we actually can see it because, because hardship puts us in this place where we can ask ourselves some really penetrating, probing questions. We can ask ourselves, okay, how did... How did we get here? It's this place of desperateness where where we've run out of all of our options. Everything that we use in our lives to kind of prop ourselves up, to, to, to be okay with ourselves, and listen, we all do it in a variety of ways. All of that is gone, and all that is left is God. You know, the North American church is, uh, is finding itself increasingly marginalized, especially uh, if we adhere to orthodox views on, you know, humanity and sexuality, things like that. And it would just be so easy right now to go, oh, no. And you can see people on social media panicking, you know. But actually, I believe it's an opportunity because it's, it's an opportunity where we get to ask ourselves, how do we get here? What, what is God's invitation in all of this? What is the potential for spiritual renewal? What is it as a church that we're relying on apart from God? And as all of that fades away, as, as, a, as culture no longer approves of us, and show me in scripture where we're supposed to fit in with culture, but anyway, that's a sidebar. But as all of that fades away, all we have left is God. It's an opportunity. 
And see, this is where the people were in the Babylonian exile. They, not, they had nothing left to rely on. And because of that, they had to face themselves. They, they had to face themselves and, and, and examine their hearts. And there was no place to, to hide. They, they actually had to own up to their idolatry. And they repented. And in doing that, they experienced renewal. So that's the context of Psalm 126. The psalm is in three parts. Verse 1 to 3, the psalmist is speaking to the community. And they say this, when the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy and the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. So what we're doing is we're actually kind of listening in on a session of remembering when. This is like everyone gathering around the old home videos, the VHSs with, you know, our kids on, you know, from 1992. This is what they're doing. They're gathering around and they're saying, remember. Remember when we were under the thumb of Babylon? Do you remember that? Do you remember how brutal it was? Do you remember? And then do you remember when we heard that we were going to be released, that we got to go home? We couldn't believe it. Do you remember? It was amazing. And it happened just like that. Now, in the story of the people of God, this is often how they experienced God. In moments of just like that, like, like, like when they were enslaved in Egypt. One day they're making bricks without straw under the maniacal rule of, of Pharaoh. And then in the very next day, they're, they're running for their lives on the banks of the Red Sea as, the, you know, the Red Sea parts they go through. And then they're just, they, they experienced a miracle and it happened just like that. See, this is God's grace. When we're heading down a path that seems like there's no options and we're caught between that proverbial rock and a hard place, but suddenly God intervenes just like that. And the people said, it seems like a dream. It seems like we were going to wake up and we were going to be disappointed, but, but that didn't happen. It was real. And it was so remarkable that the other nations noticed too and they pointed at us and they said, that, that people, their God, their God has to be the God. And what Joy. See, joy is, joy is kind of misunderstood in our world. See, we think of joy in terms of happiness, where all of our li- you know, lives are all lined up and it's all working for us and all nice and tidy. And, you know, so it's working and we feel good. How many, uh, everything's working for you right at this minute? Anyone? 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 Me neither. See, see, happiness relies on externals, and externals are beyond our control. I mean, sometimes things are lined up beautifully, and most of the time it's not. And so happiness comes and happiness goes, but, but joy is something altogether different. And according to Peterson, is a sign of those who are on the way of salvation. Now, in other words... Joy is a byproduct in our lives when we choose the path of faith 
And when we choose obedience to God and we experience his grace just like that. And so the world could be crumbling around you. And yet you can experience his joy. Isn't that amazing? Okay, the second part of the psalm is in verse 4. So the psalmist has talked to the community. And now the psalmist talks to God. And he says, Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. So they're in this remember when thing as a community. Remember when, remember. And, and then it's like the psalmist catches himself and he says, wait a minute, I just have to acknowledge some slippage. Has anyone had some slippage in their lives and in their world? <laughs> you know what, I was thinking of all the diet and exercise regimes I've tried over the years to lose the same 20 pounds that's here. And uh, anyway, here I am, cute as a button. Um, yes, you are. Thank you. <laughs> You know, it's so funny, though, like, I, I, I get all like, yeah, yeah, here I am. You know, I'm going I'm to work out. I'm going to wear my Fitbit, right? I'm, I'll let you know how much, uh, how many steps preaching takes later. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I get so excited, and I'm going to clean up my, you know, act and do all. And then all of a sudden, uh, I, I, I slowly start to wane, and I, I start to add a treat here, a treat there. I'm like, oh, I'd rather be on the couch than go to the gym. And, and then I enter a new stage where I actually begin to lie to myself, where I'm putting in my app, you know, the, the calorie counter app, where I'm like a croissant. I'm sure it's only 100 calories. Enter. Like, I, it's slippage. We've all been there. See, this is where the people were at, that the... But the place of renewal where they had been, that place of being honest before God, of, of looking at themselves honestly, they're not quite there anymore. They're, they're not as close to God. And remembering together brings the psalmist back to this place of reflection. I mean, it's not all bad. They haven't set up idols in their living rooms. They're not doing stuff like that. But if you read Malachi and Haggai, who were prophets to the people at this time in history, we, we learn that they were keeping up with their religious activities in order, you know, busy work for Jesus. Well, not Jesus then, but busy work for God. Uh, but there's no enthusiasm. So they're attending church, going through the motions, but there's actually no enthusiasm. Nothing's touching their heart also tells us that they were occupied with their own pursuits and building their own businesses and building their homes, so much so that they're ignoring the house of the Lord. So, so something's happened where the, they've lost ground, they're distracted, and there were consequences to that. A spiritual deterioration had set in and joy had waned. And so the psalmist uses a picture that the people would have been very familiar with. He uses a picture from the desert. Now, the desert had a network of ditches that for most of the year would have been bone dry under the punishing sun. But every once in a while, just like that, a sudden rain would come and change everything. See, the psalmist is, a is asking here, 
Can you do that for us in the spiritual realm? We are dry here. Can, can, can you pour out your power? Can you pour out your grace? Can you pour out your refreshment so that we can again have joy? He says, restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. What a great request and how relevant for us. Which leads us to the third part of the psalm. So the psalmist has spoken to the community. The psalmist has spoken to God. And now it's actually the Lord speaking to the psalmist. And God says, Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. (laughs) So it's like God says, So that's what you want. That's what you want. Okay. You want to experience that same joy that was unbelievable? You want, you want your dry stream beds to be overflowing? You want, you want people to look at your life and say, wow, that has to be God. That's what you want. Well, here's what you must do. He says, plant in tears. Now, what does that mean? There's a couple of perspectives. One take is this. As we've already heard, joy does not, meaning, does not mean a lack of suffering. It doesn't mean having your whole life lined up in such a way that works for you. And I hate to break it to you, but suffering will always be a part of our experience as human beings. It just is. I personally don't like it. I personally try everything I can to avoid suffering. I keep thinking that I'm going to figure out the key, and when I figure out that key, I will write a book, and y'all can read it. (laughs) You're going to be waiting a long, long time. You know, there's a a popular writer, uh, Dr. Brene Brown, who's a social scientist. Uh, Not sure if she's a woman of faith or not, but it's very interesting because she has, she says that we're in a society that numbs itself all sorts of ways. But she says you cannot selectively numb. When you, when you try to numb pain, when you try to numb suffering, you, you numb everything else, including joy. So the psalmist says there's going to be tears. You will suffer. You will experience difficulty. But, and this is huge, but it has a time of harvest. Peterson says all suffering, all pain, all emptiness, all disappointment is seed. So sow it into God and he will bring a crop out of it. Now this is such a total reframe of how we understand our lives. And it actually can bring meaning to our experiences when when we bring our sorrows to God. it's, It's like a seed that he promises he's going to bring something of value out of it and it's going to come back to us, whether it's illness or relational difficulties or disappointments. Oh my goodness, there's a thousand and one ways to be disappointed daily. What's your disappointment? Is your career that you had lined up for yourself in your brain, you know, not panning out? as you had expected. Had you expected 
to be married by now. Are you married and had expected it to be much easier than it actually is? Had you expected to have children by now? Had you expected your children to, you know, turn out, whatever that means? What would it, like, what would it look like to give all of that to God with faith, believing that he was going to do something with it? And you know what the neat thing is? is we get to be real about it. We get to cry as we pour out to God. We can have snot running down our faces because that's what the psalm tells us. And the promise is not that we get everything we ever want. The promise is that God will bring his grace just like that so that we can experience his joy regardless of the circumstances. That to me is good news. Another way to look at the verses 5 and 6 is really seeing them as a call to repentance. You know, the people experienced that incredible joy at release because they had repented. They had acknowledged where they had gone wrong and they came back to God and, and the psalmist is saying, okay, that same principle would apply now. If you want to reap the same crop of joy and vibrancy, you have to sow the same seeds. You have to come back to God. You see, if, if I'm not experiencing joy, as, I, as Scripture says that I'm supposed to experience, often my question is like, God, where are you? And yes, I do stand like this. Yes, I do. The chirper's my husband, if you haven't figured that out. <laughs> he, uh, he and I preach. Um, anyway, we tend to heckle each other. <laughs> I don't know if it's helpful or not, but anyway. But often our question is, God, where are you? Maybe the more, question, more appropriate question is, where am I? Am I trying to follow Jesus, but I'm, I'm still holding on to parts of my life that I think I know better? Is there a sin that I've allowed to remain in my life? I mean, sin isn't super popular to talk about, but honestly, it's in the big worldview of Christianity, and it is what Jesus came to die for, to release us from. It's there. So, so is there a sin that... that that I've allowed to remain in my life. You know, sin, by simple de definition, is really independence. And if we go back to creation, back to the garden, basically Adam and Eve bought into the lie that they could be God, bought into the lie that they themselves knew better when the, when the, the serpent said, God's holding out on you. God's holding, he's, he's keeping everything good from you. Go get it yourself. And that's what they chose. And they entered into this life of alienation. It's independence. It's making a way for ourselves apart from God. And we, we do that in all kinds of ways. We do that through pleasure and security and significance and comfort and belonging. Trying to, trying to, to, to make a life apart from God and all of it is idolatry and it's a temptation that each one of us struggles with every single day of our lives. Sin chokes out spiritual vitality like nothing else. And so the psalmist says, repent 
come back to the place of saying yes to God. You know, I think of my salvation. You know, we tend to look back at a date on the calendar. My salvation is an ongoing process. Not that I have to get saved every day or anything like that. But every day I enter the grace of God being Lord in my life and me coming back and saying, here I am again. Please be Lord of my life. You know, when we say yes to something, we actually say no to all other options. When Darcy and I stood at that altar 26 years ago as 21-year-olds, I can't believe that. But what I was saying to Darcy in that moment is I'm saying yes to you and I'm saying no to every other option until death parts us. And so that's the same thing that God is asking from us. Say yes to me. Say yes to me. What does saying yes to God mean? Well, it says says yes that he is our source that that what we long for will never be met apart from him psalm 142 then i pray to you O lord i say you are my place of refuge you are all i really want in life psalm 73 whom have i in heaven but you i desire you more than anything on earth you are my source lord we're also saying you are good You are a giver of good gifts, but you also give your very life to us. You share the life you live with us. You are a giver of good gifts. Psalm 16, I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I I have comes from you. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. See, here's the thing. Joy is to immerse ourselves in God's work with faith. It comes when we see him. It's not feeling good about ourselves, but feeling good about God. And Lincoln, you put it so well this morning when you said, those who look to you are radiant. So if we had a remember when session this morning, what would you remember? Would you remember when God rescued you out of a life that was destroying you? Would you remember a a moment of healing in in, uh, the church that Darcy and I attend and serve? We had a baby born uh, about four months ago. Tiny, micro-preemie. I just got a text this morning. The baby's going to be released from hospital tomorrow at the, at, at the uh, weight of eight pounds. Come on. Remembering when. God, you are good. What would you remember? What would you remember? Let's hear from you. Derwin, what would you remember? Sorry, I'm totally throwing you on. You should do whatever you want, Leanne. <laughs> Don't say that to me. (laughs) What would you remember? When I got sick, 17, when God spoke to me so clearly, I I didn't believe it was real, and he proved himself to me. Yeah, yeah. 
Someone else, what would you remember? What would you remember? Come on. Just like that. Someone else. Yes. Yeah. And you're like, me? Do you not know me? <laughs> My remember when, I mean, it's a whole long story. Um, I'm adopted, and adoptees tend to have some identity issues. And as wonderful as it is, the story of adoption, shame followed me for years and years and years. And I can testify that four years ago, God met me powerfully and in a moment set me free from shame. See, this is what God does. So joy is not that everything is always awesome and it all works out and is perfect. But joy is when we see him and when we, we are immersed in the great wonders and works of God. When we come to faith, when we witness the miraculous, when we experience his presence and we go, there is no place I would rather be than in this moment. And so we can pray as the psalmist did, restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Just like that, pour out your power, pour out your grace, pour out your refreshment. And some of you need to experience that joy again. Who's in the room that needs that joy again? Okay. We're going to stand up, and we are going to pray this again, this psalm. Your best days are not behind you, people, seriously. Your best days are in front of you. You want to know why? Because God is on the move. Your best days are in front of you. He is still on the throne, and he wants nothing more than to pour out his presence and his refreshing rain on you. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter, and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God. We thank you for those moments that we can look back and we can say, you met me there. We thank you for the, for the work, the progressive work that you've done and continue to do in our lives, Lord. And, and, and we just come back to you and say, we, we want you as our source. We, we want you as the giver of all good things, Lord. And so for this congregation, I just pray that, that we would experience you again. We're going to join our voices with the saints that have been praying this psalm for centuries and centuries. Lord, restore our fortunes 
as streams renew the desert. Lord, we recognize that this prayer requires some soul-searching. And would your Holy Spirit just show us if there's anything that, that we're holding on to, that there's anything that we are keeping back from you. We, 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 we want to follow you in obedience, knowing that joy is on the other side. And so if there's a, a phrase that we, we would use this morning, God, it's do it again. Do it again, Lord. Meet us again, Lord. Meet us again.